We continue with the story of Jacob today, um, as we find it in the 29th chapter of Genesis. Um, Jacob has fleed his um, homeland um, to head to the land of his mother's people, um, and uh, we meet him um, as he continues um, on that journey um, to Haran this morning. Let us listen for God's word for us this day. Jacob set out again on his way to the people of the east. He noticed a well out in an open field with three flocks of sheep bedded down around it. This was the common well from which the flocks were watered. The stone over the mouth of the well was huge. When all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone from the well and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone, covering the well. Jacob said, hello friends, where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran. Jacob asked, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? We do. Are things well with him? Jacob continued. Very well, they said. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the flock. Jacob said, there's a lot of daylight still left. It isn't time to round up the sheep yet, is it? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? We can't, they said. Not until all the shepherds get here. It takes all of us to roll the stone from the well. Not until then can we water the flocks. While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, saw her arriving with her uncle Laban's sheep, he went and single-handedly rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban. Then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. He told Rachel that he was related to her father, that he was Rebecca's son. She ran and told her father. When Laban heard the news, Jacob, his sister's son, he ran out to meet him, embraced and kissed him, and brought him home. Jacob told Laban the story of everything that had happened. Laban said, your family, my flesh and blood. Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid. What's a fair wage? Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It is far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yes, stay here with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days. He loved her so much. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what we agreed I'd do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought her to the marriage bed, and Jacob slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came. There was Leah in the marriage bed. Jacob confronted Laban. What have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, and then we'll give you the other one also. But it will cost you another seven years of work. Jacob agreed. When he'd completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. Jacob then slept with her, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban another seven years. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is about as classic a Genesis story as you can get. There's lots of drama, lots of twists and turns, questionable morality at multiple points, uncomfortable realities that show the stark difference between the culture of that time and our own. And somehow, in and through it all, we watch God continue to move in and through the messy, ordinary, broken human lives and systems we provide to move the story of God's grace forward in the world. We begin with a love story, a love at first sight story that takes place at a well, which seems to be the ancient Near East equivalent of whatever the most popular dating app is of our time. Isaac first encountered Rebecca at a well. The same will be true for Moses and his wife Zipporah in the generations to come. And when Jesus meets the woman at the well in the Gospel of John, the setting is meant to conjure up those same connotations, albeit for a different purpose. Love blossoms at these central community gathering places in scripture, and we watch the same hold true today. The men are waiting for Rachel, the shepherdess, to arrive so that she can join with them in rolling the stone away from the well so that they might all water their sheep. Jacob, upon seeing her, musters the strength of that entire crew and single-handedly rolls that stone away in a show of strength meant to capture the attention of the shepherdess, who not only meets the qualifications Jacob's parents had when sending them to his mother's family to find a wife, but who also captures his heart. Rachel brings Jacob to her father Laban, who is also Jacob's uncle, who greets him graciously and takes him in. After a month of time together, Laban approaches Jacob, grateful for his work and contributions to their family's livelihood. He asks how he can repay him, and Jacob asks for his daughter Rachel's hand in marriage in exchange for seven years of work. The agreement is made by the two men, and Jacob's seven years fly by like a blink of the eye because of how strong his love is for Rachel. Yet Jacob, who bribed and deceived his older brother out of his inheritance, is about to be deceived as well. For when the time comes for him to marry Rachel, his uncle Laban tricks the trickster, sending his older daughter Leah into the marriage tent. Jacob awakens the next morning to discover he has not married the woman he loves, but instead her older sister. As one commentator on this text put it, the man who deceived his blind father is himself deceived while blinded by night or by too much celebrating. Jacob broke the law of the firstborn in his own family, claiming an inheritance that wasn't his to have. Here he finds himself caught by another law of the firstborn, the cultural practice of not giving a younger daughter away in marriage until the firstborn is married. 
Jacob has had to flee far from home in the wrath of his brother Esau, a natural consequence of his own actions. Here, again, it seems that consequences naturally unfold. As Jacob is made to work 14 years for his uncle in order to secure Rachel as his wife. Yet there are even more consequences that will come as the story of this family continues from here. There is so much that is broken as we take in not only the individual actions of the characters in the story, but also the larger systems that shape it. The strict patriarchy of this time kept women from their full personhood as they were exchanged like property by men. We see two sisters not only have their fate decided for them by their father, but be judged by first their physical appearance and later their ability to bear children. We see a system of slavery at work as well, as Laban controls the fate of not only his daughters, but also the servants in his house that end up being given to Jacob to bear children on behalf of the family who owns them. We get a glimpse at why the system of polygamy is deemed sinful by our God. We watch the destructive nature of all of these broken human created systems as they take their toll on the relationships at the center of this text. Leah and Rachel would be consumed by envy and jealousy that wrecks havoc on their own relationship, their marriages, and their servants, Zilpah and Bilhah. Laban's deception of Jacob will later breed another deception out of Jacob, who will trick his father-in-law out of his best flocks before returning to his homeland. There is so much relational strife caused by the individual and systemic brokenness on display in this story. There are so many consequences that must be weathered by this family as a result of their own actions and the systems their way of life support and under which they operate. It would be easy to judge and condemn both the systemic sin we see in the story and the individual sin that it breeds as well. But as Beth Tanner, an Old Testament professor, said in her commentary on this text, that would be missing the point. She says, we can sit comfortably on a Sunday morning and condemn their actions and their culture and thank God that we have evolved, but that would mean we miss the point of the narrative completely. They are not them, they are us. We are far from perfect. Families are messy and often broken. We hurt each other intentionally and unintentionally. We act in our own best interest and against the greater good of others. We forget to ask those with less power about decisions that impact their lives. To look on this family is to look straight into human brokenness. To look on the culture is to hold up a mirror to our world and see the broken systems, the warped aspects of our own culture that are destructive to us and lead us to be destructive to one another. Sin is sin because it is harmful. It is destructive to the life for which God created us and for which God longs for us. Sin, brokenness, both individual actions and collective systems and cultures that are sinful, broken. Now they have real consequences in our lives and world, just as they did in the time and lives of Laban and Jacob, Rachel and Leah, Zilpah and Bilhah. 
live in a world where people are still judged by their appearance, where sexism still has significant consequences for women, where the societal expectations around motherhood are weighty burdens to bear for women in all different kinds of circumstances. We as a nation are currently confronting the consequences of our own systems of slavery and the systemic racism they have borne in our culture. We're living in a time when the brokenness in our own society has led so much of our collective life to be politicized and to be marked by deep division. That brokenness and those resulting realities are leading to significant consequences as we find ourselves hampered to handle this pandemic in a way that allows us to discover the best path forward towards our collective good, that upholds the health and wholeness, physical, financial, emotional, social, spiritual health and wholeness of our diverse communities. While at first glance, it can feel like the problems and issues found in this story are from a different time and place, it doesn't take a much longer look in the mirror they provide to see ourselves in full display. So what's the good word we can find in the twists and turns of this drama from Genesis? What might our God have to say to us today in the story of ordinary people who look all too familiar to us? The first thing is the consequences are gonna come God will not protect us or save us from the consequences of our actions. Like any good parent, God will let us feel the weight of those consequences because they are purposeful. One commentator ponders what those 14 years of labor meant for Jacob, how God worked in and through them to shape and change Jacob, to draw him nearer, to shape his heart. Next week, we will witness the culmination of Jacob's story as he prepares to return to his homeland with his family. We will recognize that the Jacob that returns to the land of his father and his brother is not the same man who left that land. God will let us suffer the natural consequences of our actions, both individually and collectively, because more often than not, it is only through those consequences that we will be awakened to the need to repent and to change. My hunch is that you have experienced this in your personal lives. My conviction is that we are experiencing it in our collective life. My hope is that the consequences we are suffering right now will not be wasted, but instead will be purposeful, that they will shape us and change us individually and collectively for the better. In order for that to happen, we have to be open to God's movement. We have to be willing to see our brokenness. We have to lay down our tendency to get defensive and instead invite our God to use this collective moment to open our eyes to what needs to be changed in each of us and in all of us. The other piece of good news in all of this is that the Spirit of God is going to keep on moving. The Spirit of God is going to keep on working in spite of us and because of us. 
to move forward the purposes of God in and for the world. It was through the 12 sons of the four wives of Jacob that the people of Israel was born. The 12 tribes of Israel came to be, that the covenant promises made to Abraham and Sarah continued. In spite of all the brokenness in that family, in spite of all the hurt and destruction that brokenness caused, God's promises continued from one generation to the next. God's promises for us, for our world, continue in spite of us and because of us. This gives me hope, but it also makes me long to align myself with those promises of God. I am praying God can use the consequences we are all facing in these days to shape and change me so that my life might enable those promises more than it hinders them. May this not only be my individual prayer, but may it also be our collective one as well. Amen. So in our time of offering today, my invitation to you is to pay attention to the consequences that are rocking and rolling uh, in your life right now. A lot of which are, you know, likely not due to your own personal actions, right? But are just the realities we're all living with um, in these days. But pay attention to them. Um, and instead of just being frustrated by them, um, which believe you me, I see and hear for sure. You know, I just invite you to be curious about the ways God might be using those consequences, you know, just the realities we are facing, um, how God might be using those um, to speak to you, you know, what invitation there might be in them uh, that might work on you to shape you and change you um, for the good, right? Um, as we all long to be part of shaping and changing our world for the good as well. Um, so take some time uh, to reflect on uh, just the brokenness you see around and the consequences of that brokenness and the way that's playing out in your life and how God might be speaking in and through that to you this day.